When it comes to life and becoming a better man, do you have a firmness of mind and spirit, an unyielding courage in the face of hardship? And are you doing so with a sense of peace or even joy? These statements seem very contradictory or even impossible to coexist together, but today's guest explains how they don't have to be, that virtues rightly lived and practiced are infused with this grace and purpose. So stay with us while we go into grit, virtues, and meaning. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining us on another episode of The Catholic Gentleman. We are so blessed that you have decided to join us today. We're also blessed to have Dr. Andrew Swafford. But before we talk about him, if this is your first time listening to us, please hit that subscribe button wherever you are. If you're on YouTube, definitely hit that bell button. Also, if you've listened to us multiple times, I know we've got um, you know, thousands of, of listeners that listen to us frequently. If you write us a review on Apple or Spotify, these things go a long way in helping the algorithm so that we can reach more men. We would be grateful you are in our prayers. And then the final thing is, if you're looking to support The Catholic Gentleman, we have finally launched The Catholic Gentleman Plus, which is a program for you. It is a program um, geared towards helping you understand your identity, helping you understand your masculinity, and helping you understand how to grow in holiness. It is put forth in such a way that we've got new content coming out every single month, multiple times a month, with uh, all programmatic, but also um, geared into three different pillars that we talk about for the lives of men. So it's been it's been years and and hundreds and hundreds of hours in the making. We couldn't be more blessed to have launched it. Um, right on the heels of coming up on our 10th anniversary next um, month or the month of July. So anyways, again, so grateful that you're listening to us. Head over to catholicgentlemanplus.com. If you are a wife or a mother or um, a woman that that loves what we're doing, we actually have a handful that are supporting and Catholic Gentleman Plus, learning how to be a man is not for you. Uh, definitely, uh, we're grateful for your support. You can head over to catholicgentlemen.com and you can see our support button there and there's an opportunities to give and help us continue to expand our ministry. So again, thank you so much. So diving in here today in this episode, we have Dr. Andrew Swafford. He is a professor of theology at Benedictine College in Atchison, Kansas. Great state. I lived uh, in Olathe in Kansas City for a couple of years. And he holds a doctorate degree in sacred theology from the University of St. Mary of the Lake and a master's degree in Old Testament and Semitic languages from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. He has co-authored and authored many books on the subjects of beauty of Catholicism, better understanding of the Bible, and the one that we hope to get into today, which is Gift and Grit, How Heroic Virtue Can Change Your Life and Relationships. Dr. Swafford is an avid student of Brazilian jiu-jitsu, which is awesome, and lives with his wife, Sarah, which I'm sure many of you know, and she co-authored the book that we hope to talk about today. And there are six children now. He just had his sixth child, if I understand that correctly, a, a beautiful baby girl. Is that accurate? That's exactly right. She's three weeks old uh, today. Oh, hot off the press. Congratulations. That is exciting. Well, I'm, again, so glad that you are here and so blessed, and I guess how are you doing today? How is life now as uh, you, you go back into the having a newborn? You know, you forget how small they are, right? Uh, <laughs> you, you know, our, our, um, there, there's a lot of help in the house now. So our oldest is 17, 17, 16, and then and on down. And 
Uh, so it's 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 been uh, you know we're kind of in recovery and find that new uh, rhythm, but it's been fun to see all the other kids. Uh, and truthfully, if we didn't set a timer, I don't know if I get to hold it because <laughs> my four year old's the biggest uh, hog of them all, right? So, uh, but it's been great, yeah. And your oldest is a boy, correct? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. Okay. My oldest is a girl, and she just has that motherly spirit, and and so she's always taken care of. I have you experienced that with with your your oldest son, or did it? I mean, she's eleven. My oldest is eleven, and, and she yeah. already wants to take care of him. But I imagine with a boy, it was maybe a little bit further along before that came natural for him, or or did you get lucky? Well, yes, and no. So our first two are boys, and they're fourteen months apart, so seventeen and sixteen, and then. Uh, until we just had baby Avila, we only had one girl right in the middle of age 12. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they're, I mean, they're, uh, of course they're, they're different, but you know, Sarah really wanted to have girls first, just to help, uh, help with the house. It, help it does all help. these things that you think are going to come like co-natural, you know, to them. And, but, um, in many ways, yeah, I don't know how to say it, but the, the boys have kind of picked up in their own way, right? It's not the same. But, uh, you know, yeah. there's a, we joke it. Is this your clean or my clean? You know, is this, yeah. <laughs> so uh, pick things up. The guys think it's all right. And it's not quite ready for, for guests, but it does the job. That's right. It's the beauty of family life. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. So diving in here, uh, you have a very interesting view of the world today as a professor. You have a very interesting view of the lives of men today as a professor. And so I would love for you to just start out and talk about that, right? Uh, Sam and I get it all the time. We get um, emails and comments daily about uh, the struggles and difficulties in life. You know, I always define it as, as men having lost their identity or even not realize they had an identity to lose and you go in depth to it in in many different ways so i just love for you to kind of start us out as your life as a professor and what you were noticing among men and and you know what you're doing to to kind of help fill the void or or correct you know maybe some of this loss that that men today are experiencing yeah, I mean, we're really blessed to be, you know, Benedictin. Uh, so I've been teaching here for this. Is my I just finished my sixteenth year, and we live about a block away from campus, so we see students quite a bit. And and to see, you know, some two thousand students um, get to know them, uh, it gives you kind of a firsthand view of. of and, and as things have changed, they're not the same as they were ten years ago, fifteen years ago. Things are always kind of on the move. Um, I teach a Christian moral life class regularly. Uh, we we usually read Saint Augustine's Confessions to kind of start out. Um, I teach a JP two class and. Just in interacting with them in the class, that's the class, um, many, many men, many good men from good Catholic families. Um, but then there's, you know, we've got all kinds of students here, but I, I, you know, there's there's athletes that came here just for a sport, you know, and so it's it's great to interact with all of them. But there's a fear. There's a fear that I won't know how to be a good husband, good father, because I didn't see it growing up. And, and sometimes even from good Catholic families, even very... Um, and this I'm not speaking across the board by any means, but um, nobody's immune. Nobody's immune to the culture. Nobody's immune to kind of personal dysfunction. And, and sometimes even from you know very, very pious backgrounds, there's still like kind of an emotional distance. There's, you know, no family's perfect. Um, and I don't mean to make light of this by any means, but but it's um, I've had I've had good Catholic students say to me, um, can you really have a happy marriage? And they'll say, I, I know divorce is off the table, but. Is it really is it really possible to have a, a joy-filled, happy, peaceful marriage at home? And, and so there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of fear. They know what they they know what they don't want. They have an idea what they want, uh, but they don't quite know how to get there. And they'll say, you know, hey, how can we? I, I want your marriage. Uh, and then my wife and I'll say, hey, you weren't here for the first five years, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. many years later. So it's okay to be a work in the progress at the same time, but also uh, on mission. But I just see I see a deep fear, a deep fear of I don't know. 
how to do this. Um, and then on the, on the other, maybe a different angle, when I teach on sloth, achadia, I mean, I have yeah. so many like, man, I feel like you're reading my soul. We can maybe get into that later, but this kind of spiritual yeah. apathy and indifference and lack of care um, that just seeps into everything else we do. Yeah, well, I'd say you're resonating with with me and my life too. When I was in college, right, fear of failure was was just led me to mm-hmm. success. I was a professional trumpet player, and but I was just afraid to be found out and found wanting. And there certainly wasn't a relationship with Christ or an identity that was found in Him. So appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, and and uh, speaking of that, you know, obviously that I felt some of that fear as a young man, young man, you know uh 13 years ago or 14 years ago like getting married having my first child and like it all hitting me you know there's these jokes about adulting you know like adulting is so hard and all this stuff well it really is but i guess what i'm wondering is when you see these young people these young men who are struggling with this fear what is their primary response to that is it anger is it depression like um obviously the two can be intertwined but like what do you see young guys struggling with uh as they feel this fear of entering into manhood entering into the responsibilities and challenges that go with that and what are they looking for like what is the the longing that they have uh on the other side of that fear i guess yeah, I, I think it depends on which student and, and who I'm talking to. So um, I, I think for, uh, I'll just say for some of the Catholic students, um, there's a, you know, they've been performing all their lives, right? Like you, you got to check the boxes, you've got to do it right, fear of failure. Uh, and so some will just kind of continue to kind of, you know, um, rely on just achievement after achievement after achievement after achievement. Um, others just fall into this kind of, uh lukewarmness and i mean they, they, they're going to go to mass on sunday they're going to go to confession when they screw up but there's like there's just kind of um man i mean just kind of like you know i um this aimlessness just this 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 kind of wandering um sometimes it's fear sometimes it's anger sometimes it's resentment um i think what they're longing for is a real sense of mission and purpose that is specific uh, that's not just in generalities. That's not just you know pursue greatness. But like, what does that mean, day in and day out? And 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 one thing's that you know, I don't know the language that. Um, and actually, I, I'm no Alabama fan, but uh, I actually caught Saban in an interview saying this uh, at one point. He said, you know, you can't just focus on the end uh, because there's things about the outcome. He's thinking about winning a championship that are out of your control. But you can focus on the means. Because those are often in your control. And I think that can be helpful, whether it's purity, whether it's different thing. Okay, I know what you want, but are you willing? I know how serious you are if you're willing to take the intermediate steps that are prerequisites to get there. And if you're not, then you're not as serious about the end as you claim to be. Um, And then some of them just need... They just need to break down and open up and be like, you know, I'm not okay on the inside. and It's time to just take the facade down and just be real. Uh, So it just depends on who you're talking to. Yeah. Yeah. And if I could just jump in again, John, real quick, like this has everything to do kind of with the topic today of of virtue, right? Like of developing, you know, the word virtue comes from the Latin word for man. Like as there's a manliness about virtue, obviously women can be incredibly virtuous as well, but there's a, um, 
aspect of overcoming that resistance that's part of growing in virtue. And uh, I would love to hear your thoughts on that topic. Like, what is what is virtue in the way that you understand it, the way the scholastics understood it, maybe even before the scholastics, the early church fathers, and it's a great tradition, right? So like, what, what does this word even mean? Because we know we're all called to it. We hear it all the time and like talks and, you know, uh, evangelical kind of resources, like trying to equip us to be saints and things like that. And yet I think very few people actually know what we're talking about when we talk about we're talking about virtue so if you could just break down start there with like a definition of what virtue is yeah so like the catechism it's a habitual disposition to do the good um i think if you go back to you know um we could talk about in scripture church fathers people like aristotle and plato uh it's a human excellence uh the arete is the, the greek word there it's um you know, what's different between what, how virtue differs from values is, is, you know, values, you know, demand gives something value. What do you value? I like this. I like that. Um, but the idea of virtue in the, in the classical context is that it's a it's a rational perfecting of our nature as human, as rational. So um, virtue is never a uh, it's living a fully human life. It, it's it's never a suppression. I take courage. It's not a suppression of fear or temper. It's not a suppression of desire. It's a right ordering in accordance with our human nature as rational and free. Uh, so to simply be a slave to my appetite is to live an animalistic life. Uh, but we're not angels either, nor are we robots. So it's it's a mistake to kind of think that we should be that as if pleasure is inherently bad, body's bad, et cetera. Um, rather, what virtue does is it integrates the whole in light of our, uh, again, a rational, a rational nature. So that, that's why for like Aristotle, virtue is really one. It's diversified when you apply living of course the right reason to moral decision-making, that's called prudence. To relations with others, that's justice. To feelings of fear um, and daring, well, that's courage. To desires for food, drink, and sex, well, that's temperance. And then he'll talk about the intellectual virtues as the perfect. So it's like you've got these powers of intellect, will, and passions, and they're perfected by the virtues. Um, and, and if you leave those powers dormant, then don't be surprised that you find yourself kind of unfulfilled and unhappy. And that, that's kind of Aristotle's clear vision, that virtue is perfective of human nature, and it, it brings us to a happiness that is not really subjective contentment but the objective perfecting of our nature as rational as human um and this gets just kind of enhanced in the christian tradition uh in a deeper way when you bring in the reality of sin and the need for grace and the theological virtues i i think one way though practically that i think uh, i found helpful that i think often it can come down to this is it can i rise above my spontaneous emotional reaction in the moment and choose the good or will i just be a pinball like, can I arise above that in the moment and choose the good? And and, that, and that's where I think you really see, okay, let's not talk about virtue just like when I go on the mission trip, when I go, you know, like, what does it mean to like live in close relations with people, our spouses, our siblings, our roommates, like those are the people who often test our, you know, push our buttons the most. And I, I think we make a mistake to think um, this is another topic, but, uh, you know, our families are the most vulnerable people in our lives. Right. I mean, like if I if I'm mean to a neighbor, like he can be like, screw off. I don't want to be friends with you. But my family doesn't have that option. Right. So I need to give my family my best. I think we need to. There's a place to be real, of course. But I think the idea that I'm just going to vent and use my family as like an emotional whipping bag is just backwards. I, I think it's it's that's poison. That's toxic. If I think your your virtue and your character are really tested often with the people with whom you live in closest proximity uh and 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 you know can you choose charity can you choose the good and you're not going to be perfect 
Um, but to even be striving for that and, and to not be a slave to my emotional impulse in the moment and to continue to try to kind of harness that uh, in accordance with the good and, and really in you know, in marriage, when my wife and I give marriage talks, we'll say it this way. And I'll say it to students, like, if you want this to work, you got to choose to love Jesus in your spouse, because the people you love the most, they're going to hurt you. They're going to let you down. They're going to disappoint you. And if you play the 50-50 game, it'll never work. Hmm. Yeah, I really appreciate that. I think that that is excellent. And and you you mentioned a lot in there. And one of the things that uh, we like to remind men is that, you know, as our role as husband, father, as our role as man in society is that we have a right to uh, protect uh, those vulnerable, those uh, our wives and our children. But protection is not just the physical protection, right? Protection can take the face of, of protecting them from poverty, protecting them emotionally and spiritually and mentally as well. And you're exactly right. If they become our, our whipping bag. We're, we're missing the mark. And so I want to actually talk a little bit backwards from what I uh, was intended, because you, you already brought up a topic that I want to discuss is, is kind of the difference between a virtue rightly understood, I think you call it supernatural grit or heroic virtue in the Christian or Catholic sense and virtue in the Stoic or, or you know, kind of uh, uh, Aristotle or antiquity, uh, that sense, because I do think that today in America, whether we realize it or not, we have fallen into this uh, sort of stoic version of practicing virtue. And I, you do a great job in your book, uh, kind of breaking that down, where like, it's not about pick yourself up by your bootstraps, you know, this sort of, uh, you know, do it anyways, even if it sucks, you know, and, and a really Pelagian in, in its, in its essence. And so, um, Again, yeah, I'll just um, pass it over to you and talk about that difference between how we as Catholics practice virtue, see virtue, both in the behavior and in the end goal, versus how those of Aristotle and, and Stoics, you know, Seneca and all that would have would have viewed it. Yeah, I, I think that's more Stoic than Aristotle. I think Aristotle, I mean, he's Thank not, not yeah. going to go all the way here, but I think he's going to be a little closer on this. But uh yeah, no, you are um you're so you're so right. Um and I think part of it is Aristotle doesn't know even Aristotle again uh yeah. even the best of classical virtue doesn't know sin and doesn't know grace. There's a mm -hmm. line in Aristotle where he, he talks about his whole his whole point is that acts lead to habits and, and over time this becomes more and more of a fixed character to the point where he has one line where he says it's like you throw a stone and at some point you've let the stone go and you can't bring it back. Mm -hmm. And that almost makes it sound like someone is beyond redemption, right? And, mm -hmm. and but he, he's, I mean, he's not wrong to say you can become a slave to sin. Addiction is exhibit A of this, but he doesn't know Christ, and he doesn't know that nobody's ever, nobody's ever too far gone. But but I think the the um, and maybe let me add like one thing that what I said, and let's go right to what you said here, because part of virtue when you really become virtuous, it's not just grit your teeth; it's you actually enjoy doing this. Mm -hmm. You can do it promptly, consistently on demand, and with joy and peace and so virtue is not just do the hard thing it's become the kind of person who can do the right thing with greater and greater ease or at least i mean some virtues always imply a certain pain like courage but it's not as difficult like you'd rather do it this way um now when you think about the re the christian story and the reality of sin i mean to be a saint it's not, don't just will it. Like, that's not going to work. You mentioned Pelagian. That's not going to work. What's going to work really is, and so many saints hold these two things together. Recognize and acknowledge and bring to the Lord our brokenness on the one hand and see our brokenness in light of his infinite mercy. 
Uh, if you just think about brokenness, you'll fall into despair. If you just think about mercy, 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 you may fall into presumption. But the two together really is where Christian hope resides. And I think what happens then when you really go to the Lord and you really open up and you say, I am a mess. And the more you do that and you sit before his presence, the more there's a deeper and deeper healing that is going to facilitate a virtuous life that's not, as you say, just grit your teeth and do it. Uh, but Lord, you know, like when our Lord says in Matthew 5, 48, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Which is a verse that creates a lot of anxiety for a lot of people. Uh, I, I sense, especially women, but I think really for a lot of people. But the the you know teleos is the Greek word behind that, and the the Semitic roots behind that Hebrew and Aramaic shalom and tamam have the sense of be complete, whole. If you think of perfect, and really that's what's easy, it's it's a wholeness that's going to come through being healed and transformed and elevated. Um, if you don't go to our Lord there. I don't think, in fact, I, I'm very confident. In fact, I might say, yeah. I know you're not going to live the virtuous life with peace, with joy, with gratitude. Um, it's going to devolve, I think, at least existentially back into those pick yourself in the bootstraps. And you're just not going to be the same husband, father, teammate, whatever it is. Um, I mean, there, there's, I love the virtue of patience, which is often. Uh, considered kind of a subset of, of courage. So courage has the attacking soldier aspect, but there's also the courage of a martyr that can persevere and uh, get through an evil that can't be removed. And, and that patience really is the virtue that where we can go through this adversity and trial without losing our peace of mind, our serenity, and even a deep and abiding joy. It doesn't mean we like what's happening. Like we might despise it, but we know that we're made for something greater, that this life is not the end. And all those things, and I think we've all known people who can shoulder a, a teammate, like some teammates go in the tank when things go bad. Um, you know, others keep their head and, and then transfer that to life. Well, we we want a spouse, we want a teammate who, even when things go bad, like they're still with us. They still retain their ability to love. In that moment, I know for me, when I've been like overwhelmed by my stress, my worries, my concerns, I might be physically in the same room, but I ain't present, right? I ain't even there. And I, I think when our Lord talks about anxiety so much, and I know there's so many different kinds of anxiety, right? But just generally uh, speaking, I think when we get so overcome, and I'll tell not clinical anxiety, things like that, but with, with, with our own issues, I think it paralyzes our ability to love. And I think yeah. part of where our Lord's coming from is, there's lots of things to be worried about. I get it, but continue to turn your your gaze outward toward love of God and neighbor, and, and never cease to love and be present to people, even when things aren't going well. And that's that's really hard. That's really hard to do, and sometimes impossible, but for the grace of God. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I just want to summarize real quick, kind of what I hear you saying, like is. Kind of the stoic um, Aristotelian or like classical version of virtue is is about habits. It's about doing something enough that it kind of works its way into your natural disposition. So you just kind of spontaneously do the right thing. You know, you, you see somebody, you know, falls on the subway tracks and you jump down in there and pull them out. You're like you just you have that natural level of virtue, which is confirmed by, you know, a lot of our neuroscience and things like that. Like your brain changes, it adapts to repeated actions, right? So it becomes easier and easier to do those things. Well, you're, it sounds like you're saying, uh, you know, Christian or Catholic idea of virtue is 
takes into account sin and grace. It, it takes into account both our fallenness, yes, but also God's intervention in our lives. So it's not just a human effort, but there is an element of effort and grace coinciding. Um, but there's this, this idea of like infused virtues, right? Like virtues that just kind of spontaneously emerge through the grace uh, of the Holy Spirit. And um, that aren't really this a matter of like habitual choice, but are rather just like gifts of grace. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts on that as, and again, as kind of a contrast to the uh, maybe Navy SEAL version of virtue or things like that, where I mean, these guys are incredibly impressive, right? But it's it's at a, a very human natural level, um, whereas we're talking about something different. So could you elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah. No, I mean, I'm still very, you know, fond of it. And I, 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 either that natural level in that um, it's not complete, but I don't think it's false. And it's it's sort of like, you know, anybody can hit a lucky shot, but the good player is consistent, is reliable. Uh, and, and when I present this to students, especially the guys, they grab onto it because then they start to see, because you know, how often do we hear this? Uh, deep down, I'm a good guy, despite what I did last weekend. Hey, deep down, I'm a good guy, despite what I did last weekend. And I'm like, hey, that's like saying, hey, deep down, I'm a great pitcher. I just never throw strikes, right? It's like, <laughs> it, it doesn't work like that. And it helps you to see that who I'm going to be in five years is directly related to what I'm doing now. Because mm-hmm. I think the temptation in high school, college, like, I'm going to live it up now and I'll settle down later. It's like, no, it doesn't work like that. But you're exactly right, Sam. Um, the, uh, you know, Arizona knows nothing about the infused virtues. St. Thomas talks about the infused virtues. And sometimes people think of that as only faith, hope, and charity. These, these super, you know, these supernatural virtues, theological virtues. Why? Because they have God as their object and they're infused by God. Yes. But St. Thomas talks about infused cardinal virtues, infused courage, infused prudence. And we talk about the gifts of the spirit, um, but the fruits of the spirit in Galatians 5. So um, I think for two reasons why that makes abundant sense. One, we do not live in a purely natural order, right? We live in a in, a, in an order that was good, but that has fallen, that is in some ways under the dominion of the evil one, right? You, the, the notion of world in scripture, like there's the good creation that God created, but then there's also, especially in John's writings, the world which is you know, this this earthly realm uh, over which Satan has dominion and it's full of human dysfunction. And so because the reality is sin, we need grace even to achieve natural perfection. But then secondly, we are not called to a natural end. We are called to a supernatural end. And so we think about nature and grace. I actually wrote my dissertation on nature and grace um, because it's important that we don't poo-poo the order of nature, that we see the order of nature is, is God-given, God is behind it. The natural order in a real way is the embodiment of divine wisdom, but it gets taken up into the order of grace. Uh, it's healed, perfected, and elevated by grace. And that's really where I think what we're talking about is not just the life of virtue or, or maybe extending that that in a broader way, but the spiritual life, which includes virtue, but it has to include prayer repentance, the reality of my broken and fallen state, and recognizing that I, I can't do this alone. Not like I probably won't, I probably need help, I need some good examples. No, I I, I mean, the enlightenment, um, you know, and, and it's it's not that there's nothing good here, but one of the dogmas they hated generally was original sin, because it put like clamps on, we can't really do this utopia here. Um, and the catechism has got some great passages in like 387, 404, about how there are serious mistakes that we make in politics, education, and they list a couple of different things when we neglect the reality of original sin, because then we tend to think, okay, all we need is more education. 
All we need is more of this, more of that. And the reality, and this is what Socrates got wrong, sin is not an intellectual problem. Like, I might know exactly what I should or shouldn't do. That's no guarantee that's going to happen. And ultimately, we need the gift of the Spirit uh, to transform us from within, um, even to achieve this natural perfection. But we're called to something even greater. And really, God calls us to, to you know, the Holy Spirit's been poured into our hearts, Romans 5.5. 5. Uh, so that we can love, this is what charity is, with his divine love, and we can't do that ourselves. It's, And this is what Christianity is all about, is it, it's Christ's life, death, and resurrection being reproduced in and through each one of us, um, that we get taken up into this Paschal mystery. And I think, I'm sorry to yap on so much, but I think sometimes we look at the news, we're like, gosh, look how bad things are going. It's like, well, yeah, but what would you expect without Jesus? Like, on the one hand, I, I we like seeing our Aristotle's Mortimer Adler is a, you know, a 20th century figure who, I mean, uh, became Catholic, as I understand, on his deathbed, but but argued for God's existence for a long time as a, as a call himself a pagan, a, a non-practitioner of either Judaism, Islam, or Christianity. Um, and while those are nice, natural examples, let's be honest, right? This world is fallen, we are fallen, and we need grace, and let's not kid ourselves. Okay, excellent. So one of the things that I want you to talk about now specifically related to your book is the notion of grit. Because when I heard you say grit, or when I, I actually think I I'm, was at NCYC or SEEK, we kind of briefly talked about it for just a few seconds. And so I I, I made the, the direct assumption that it was going to be about kind of like resiliency. But you guys, uh, you and your wife, uh, take it a step uh further or just take a different angle of it. And so I would like to talk about that virtue of grit and kind of what it entails uh, as you are um, have realized today and why you feel like it's so important for, for men today. Yeah, and, and grit's a word that's gotten some traction in the secular culture in recent years. Uh, and, and kind of like what we were talking about before, I think people hear grit and they think that kind of stoic, you know, white knuckle it, just grit your teeth and, and yeah. do it. I think where it was coming from for us in in, in our experience with uh, students over the years and people over the years, sometimes there's like a, an enthusiasm, like I'm excited. Um, but, you know, what happens when it's no longer convenient or popular or easy? Um, what's going to make it have staying power? And so I, I think consistency was a big part of what we're driving at, uh, of, of not just, you know, kind of nodding your head at that talk or that retreat. But like, what does it mean to like really live this out long term in every vocation, in every walk of life? Uh, and as you know, we, we took a lot from Walter Chizik, uh, Father Chizik, the um, missionary to communist Russia. And, uh, and his life is is extreme in many, many ways, but there's some lessons. And so um, and make a long story short, he, you know, uh, Jesuit um Letter from Pius XI, 1929, calling for missionaries to come to Russia from the Jesuit sons of the church. And he just is like, I know I'm called. I know I'm called and can't wait to uh, to do it. Goes to studies in Rome, prepares. 1938, it's deemed too dangerous to send him. So he's sent to Eastern Poland and, and the, the, the Russians ended up taking over that area of Poland. And long story short, some of the people there were, they were taking vol volunteer workers to support the war effort. Chizik and other priests go undercover um, Basically, oh, this is our ticket into the country, into, into Russia, and, and and it's you know nothing's fruitful ministry-wise. Uh, all of a sudden, he's arrested as a as a, a Vatican spy and a German spy. Spends fifteen years in a, a Siberian prison uh, prison camp, and it's only like in the camp that he actually begins to exercise priestly ministry. It's like this whole because he could have been like, why did I ever do this? What was I thinking? Right, this guy from Pennsylvania 
his parents were from Poland, but he was he was born here. And he just never did that. He, he continued to see his life in light of faith. And basically, in his words, and it can be very dramatic, seeing some of these things, like fellow uh, workers would be like, why are you working so hard for these communists? And he's like, this is my sacrifice to the Lord. And almost like seeing these these things that can be onerous and burdensome, I mean, for him to the extreme, uh, as sort of gifts and quotes uh, from the father that he would never have chosen for himself. But in light of faith, I'm going to embrace this uh, and offer them back as a holy sacrifice. Now, there are certain situations where we absolutely should remove ourselves from as quickly as possible, like an abusive situation or things like that. But there's a lot of things also that are going to be kind of, you know, I, I think back to when we first had, you know, very young children um you know when we had two in diapers uh i think back to learning languages and like it's you know it's exciting to think about learning hebrew or greek and whatnot before it starts but then there's a time it's like hey this is not as sexy as it once was right so i think the, the supernatural grit that we're getting at and it takes discernment like is this the time for that um but is to see those onerous moments if that's the station to which the lord has called us um as gifts from the Lord to be embraced and offered back to the Lord, not with bitterness and resentment. And that doesn't mean like, oh, I just love this. I just love this morbid thing. No, 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 no. But in light of faith, I'm going to make, and it's really a lot of that virtue of patience. Can I do this with peace and with joy and, and be faithful to the post the Lord has me right now and offer this back as a holy sacrifice? I think that in one way or another is going to be key to any and every vocation because every every walk of life is going to have those laws where it's like it's not as exciting as I once thought it was. I'm in ministry and man, people don't see me as the MVP that I thought I was going to be. Yeah. It's like, yeah. you know, and, and, and it's all like, it's not about. So, again, there are situations where we should remove ourselves as fast as possible, no doubt. But with discernment, uh, if I'm called to be here, I can't just duck and run when it gets hard hard can i see this in light of faith and offer it back to the lord another way to look at it, it's a lot like uh, if you know ignatius uh his rules for overcoming desolation his rule yeah. five oh. i think is just i mean it's like old-fashioned wisdom but man it can save a lot of vocation a lot of marriage a lot of uh, big or small and basically it's in a time of desolation that's not a time to make a spiritual change. Now, there's changes we should make, right? We mentioned abuse, things like that, of course. Um, but it's so easy. I'm going to pray this way in Lent, and then it comes time to do it. It's like, ah, I'd rather not. And, and Ignatius is going to say, you give in there, the desolation gets worse. But if you realize that the time of desolation is not the time of sober decision-making, that's the time of the lie. Um, don't make a spiritual change then. Um you know, I, I I frankly think a lot of whether it's something small, like I've committed to pray this way or something bigger, like I've been a priest for 10 years, but I'm not feeling it or in marriage. I, I think a lot of I mean, the grass is uh, the vocational grass can be greener on the side. The grass is often greenest where you water it. And I think there's a lot of truth there again with the sermon, of course, but there's a lot of truth there. And I think that's maybe at the heart of what we mean by grit. Um, so the idea of gift. We worked with meaning and grit for a while. Um, I think a lot of people, life is like a story with no plot, right? You give yeah. your life meaning. And there's a line from Carter Rotzinger that true meaning is received and, and received as a gift from the Lord. That's where that first prototype comes from. But to really live out the gift, the meaning of our lives, we're going to need grit. And not just the stoic grit, but but real faithful grit and light of faith um, to be martyrs in one way or another, either day in, day out, that white martyrdom, or for some of us, that red martyrdom, um, that 
you don't like the pain, but those martyrs deep down wouldn't have it any other way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I want to come back to that idea of gift because you were talking about this early on in uh, the episode where you were talking about, you know, the people closest to you are the most vulnerable. In a sense, you're vulnerable too. Like, you know, they can hurt you. Uh, but there's also this sense in which a lot of uh, of the culture, you know, you look around at like, um, you know, like weightlifting culture, or like sports culture, things like that. It's peak performance is often a very uh, self-centered thing. Mm. So, for example, um, you're, you're practicing Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I'm sure you've heard of Gordon Ryan. You know, he's kind of like this. He's he's the top of the game. There's no question. Like he's like the greatest jujitsu athlete ever, maybe. You know, so like, and yet it's so narcissistic. It's like so self-absorbed the way he talks about the, the sport and things like that. Maybe he would have a different opinion if you talk to him, but but just kind of watching from the outside, like it's all about him. He's all about peak performance so that he can make more money or like he can, you know, get more attention or things like that and sign more deals and like. And it, in a lot of the virtue that you see in the world, you know, they don't use the word virtue maybe, but this idea of like perfecting yourself and like, it's all very self-centered. It's so that I don't get addicted. It's so that, you know, I can be the best version of me, et cetera, et cetera. But what you're talking about is like virtue for others, like virtue as an, a, as a means to self-gift, self-possession as a means to self-gift rather than um just self-aggrandizement or just thinking man i've reached the top you know is it so i'd love to hear you expand on like the idea of virtue in relationships and how virtue can lead to happier you know more uh rich relationships really that's so spot on that is so so spot on um i you know we revere and i'm not trying to put down but we revere the michael jordans uh michael phelps we were you know but I think sometimes, you know, when we rev- we do that, I, we all know deep down that comes at a price, that comes at a cost, right? And I think this this uh, for, um, I think for a lot of guys in particular, but I think men and women, but I think men in particular, um, you you get married, you've got little kids, you've got a spouse. Like, let's not kid ourselves. Like, I I I can't write as many books or do as many advanced degrees. I mean, like, I would destroy my family. If I did that, and the way I, I've often put it to myself and, and close friends, like, what does it mean to get an A overall? Right. So and I was like, I think sometimes we get first, like I, I could do so much better at this if all I had to do is that or this, if that's all I did. But it's like, what does it mean to get an A overall? To get an A overall is to mean to have things right order to the right end in proper balance. Uh, and that that means not everything can, you know, bend to the altar of jujitsu or basketball or trumpet or whatever it is like that's not the ultimate end god's the ultimate end uh, i had a friend uh back in the day said hey look mediocrity in all things except christ and i'm like that's a shocking statement but there's some wisdom there right there's some wisdom there i think to your point sam what really helped me a ton um well, you know and i take uh students just about every semester through love and possibility by Votiwa. uh i think jp2 there's a slight tweak on the aristotelian Thomistic package, um, where basically, uh, and and, and maybe more for Aristotle, at least by um, conventionalism with St. Thomas as well, there's an accent on the intellect, that that the highest virtue is going to perfect our highest power, which is the intellect, contemplation, things like that. 
um, Wojtyla puts it on the on the will and love, and he says in a couple of places where it's love that most fully actualizes the person. It's love that most fully perfects the person. There's a letter he wrote um, to one of the college students he he helped mentor, and after she got married. Uh, and he said, and this, this this line always hit me, he said, I am convinced that the people that need us the most are the people we need the most. And I think what he's getting at is because it draws a greater love out of me. And so I, where I'm going is for JP2, um, and this is really a tweak on the virtue ethic as kind of self-perfecting. And I think it, you're right. It can, if we're not careful, lead to a kind of a self-aggrandizement uh, is that the, the whole goal is self-gift. It's Jesus Christ who teaches us the fullness of what it means to be human. Jesus reveals God to us, but he also reveals man to us. And so when the accent marks on self-gift on love, it becomes radically other-centered and not just me-centered. And so and I think this is this was transformative for me because uh, there's you know one of the greatest crosses for me early on was like, gosh, I can't pray as much as I want to. I can't read as much as I want to. I can't, I feel like I'm not growing as much as I want to because I've got like little children that need me or a wife that needs, and you yes. can start resenting your family uh, and even seeing them as an obstacle to your holiness if you're not careful. So but when the accent mark is on self-gift, when the accent mark is on love, that love fully actualizes myself, fully perfects myself and leads to that thoroughgoing and true and authentic happiness. Uh, and this is this is a Wojtyla kind of accent mark. He does the same thing with chastity. So in the Thomas the Stealing Tradition, chastity is a subset of the virtue of temperance. All right. So temperance, you know, rightly orders my desires for drink and sex. Chastity is about sex. Wojtyla says, well, that's not false, but chastity is better understood as a virtue that facilitates true love. It liberates love from use and prepares me and enables me to love the other for who they are, uh, not merely what they do for me. And so it's all ordered toward love. Their freedom is ordered toward love. Uh, and so I think that for me, that was transformative, that the accent marks on love, on self-gift, that as you said, self-mastery, which is what the Australian virtue is going to help you do, is a prep preparation for total self-gift. But if self-gift is there, I think we won't fall into those, um, those moments of resentment that we can kind of you know, under the auspices, under the disguise of, I want to be holy, I want to grow. It's like, yes, but if you want to grow radically, make your life a gift. Yeah, I think that's incredible. I love episodes like this where I know I'm going to want to listen to it again and just digest this. So thank you. So from my last question, I want to talk about a certain section in your book where basically I'm a man in my 50s, 40s, doesn't really matter, but I have come to accept that, yes, there is meaning in my life that has been granted to me as a gift from God. I have received that. I am working on grit, this grit that is both courage, perseverance, and patience, as you've discussed. But where do I begin and how do I stay consistent? You do such a great job of kind of giving some um, guide rails, if you will, to to men when when life gets difficult, when basically, and, and I bring this up on on these shows very often, I'm praying for two years, but I'm just not feeling like I'm growing, right? Or um, that sort of stuff starts starts building in. So I'd love uh, for you to speak to that. So to help men not only get started or if they've been doing this for years, what are some guiding principles to help them stay consistent in growing and staying true, you know, to the to the end goal? Yeah, I mean, I think you, you, the first thing I'd say, the first thing I was thinking is you, you, you got to pray. And, and I think there, 
And th- this can be something that, that gets cast by the wayside when you're all into, uh, I want to grow, 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 because you replace praying with reading or replace praying with a podcast, you praying with apologetics, right? Um, Cause you feel like, well, praying me, it's kind of a waste of time. Like you don't say that, mm-hmm. but you still yeah. constantly think that. And I, I think for me, what's in the, so what's the best way to pray? Well, I mean that you do it. It's kind of like exercise, just find what works and be consistent. But um, for me, that listening prayer, and even if it's, I found it's better to have if, if it's if it's if it's five minutes one day fine don't let it go to waste right better to have recurring repeated frequent even short sessions than well once a week i pray for an hour but that's it right that that daily conversation and and, and work it up to 5 10 15 20 for me i love it before the blessed sacrament we can't always get there though so you got to find a way to make it work consistently um where you're listening and maybe you use something as a prop maybe read the gospel that day but but really ask the Lord, what, where, how are you calling me? How are you prompting me? What do my life needs to change? Where are you taking me? And, and it's not always going to be riveting, but I think if you do that over time, it's it'll transform your life. Uh, I think too, you, you need friends. Like you need people that are going to ask you about this. Hey, how's your life going? Hey, be real. Like, um, why we we started this group um, seven eight years ago, and I won't won't bore your audience with it. But basically, we we uh, it's families. Um, we we first Saturdays of, of the month. Um, but one of the things that the couples do is we all share a high and a low of the month, because those are the things you don't share to Catholic potluck. You don't you don't want to brag and you yeah. don't share low. And I think the thing is like let's be honest, like Catholics can talk like ecclesial politics, like their sports scores. Like we're not really sharing life. Right. So you got to have brothers that you can like be totally real with where you're like, hey, uh, I mean, I'm just like I'm a mess right now. My marriage is a mess right now. Like, where are you going to go? Right. Um, so I think you need friends. I think the third thing, C.S. Lewis has got a line in Mere Christianity where he says, neither this belief nor any other will remain alive unless it's fed. You got to feed your faith you gotta, and and not just with like encyclopedic factual knowledge. Like you got to you got to you've got to continue to form yourself, feed yourself, whether it's reading, podcasts, what have you. Um, and I think um, this was uh, one of my old professors, Bishop Barron. I had him long before he was Bishop Barron uh, you know, back in the day. But um, he gave a homily one time about three apostolic figures, uh, Peter, Thomas, and John. And he took them to kind of be embodiments of three different aspects of the Christian life. Took Thomas to be that rational strain. I won't believe unless I can see. Um, took Peter to be this kind of mission oriented even service oriented and john to be the contemplative and Mm. the whole gist of it was well if you only have john the mystic might turn into superstition and if you only have peter you might just be a you know the church might just become like a a service producing machine if you only have thomas you might become a rationalist they all need to rub off each other and we probably like are more inclined toward one the other so if you're a thomas make yourself do some john stuff read some devotionals, read some saints. If you're a John, every now and then stretch your intellect. If you're a John or a Thomas, go out and serve. So find ways to feed your faith, find friends, and make sure you're praying. And I, by that, I mean not just vocal prayer. The Mass is the highest prayer. Uh, but you can go to Mass every day and live a double life. Right? It's been said, I think, rightfully so, that you can't, that kind of listening prayer, you can't persist in serious sin and that kind of listening prayer, because that silence is just too loud, that either you'll mm. stop praying or you'll stop saying it's really hard to do both for very long. And I, I, what I found is that if I'm consistent with that kind of prayer, it's a corrective, right? 
things will sometimes veer. The prayer life will always be riveting, but there's a self-correcting because the, the, I'm opening the channels for the Lord. to. He's always speaking to me, but for me to hear it. Um, so I, that's what, and obviously a sacrament of life. I mean, get to confession, get to mass. Um, but I think those are the things, those three make the power of that sacramental life as explosive as it should be. Whereas the sacramental life without that um, often doesn't accomplish what we think it should. And I think theologically, I mean, the sacraments are efficacious signs. They, they, the, you know, the, the grace is always offered objectively, but as the catechism points out, according to Council of Trent, we receive in accordance with our faith and disposition. So uh, we have to avail ourselves and open ourselves and dispose ourselves to receive the grace that's offered. Amen. Thank you. So just uh, in conclusion, um, can you, like, it's, like I want to go back to this idea of you being, talking about, like, healing and wholeness. Like, it just, it reminds me of that saying, famous quote from St. Irenaeus of, like, the glory of God is man fully alive. Like, just like this, like, we often, like, I think intellectualize virtue too much. I think it's one of the downsides of our, uh scholastic tradition is that we think it's just a matter of up here but like what does a man fully alive look like to mm. you like what is what does that look like and have you met anyone like that or you know encountered any anyone that you would say they're fully alive i think so i mean i think we're all a work in progress this side of heaven um i think the things that come to mind though I'm trying to think of how to articulate this. I mean, the, the, you know, we can give stock answers like virtue, but I, I think the joy, um, the absence of that kind of, um, frankly, emotional human dysfunction that can kind of beset us in so many ways, uh, whether it's the bitterness, the resentment. I think humility is a big part of it. Um you know, real humility. And I, I love, I'm partial to C.S. Lewis. I love the way Lewis puts it, that humility is about um, thinking less about ourselves. Because if I'm if I'm so infatuated with my brokenness, well, what am I thinking about? I'm still thinking about how bad I am. I'm thinking about myself. Uh, but humility takes my eyes off myself and enables me to focus on the other. I think that kind of humility, um, because this this is a man who is knows who he is, um, has joy in who he is running toward our Lord, is not fussing about what he's not, uh, has his, he, he is present in the moment. He can be present and available and is able to love and enter into those moments in the moment. Uh, he, he recognized that the present moment is really where eternity and time. I mean, this is where the Lord speaks to us at every moment. Um, so lots of other things I, we could say, but to me, what stands out is not just people who are doing the right things on the outside, but like when you get closer and you lift the hood, um, there's a deep-seated joy and peace. The fruits of the Spirit are, are here. This is a person who knows the Lord, knows their strengths, knows their limitations, and is okay with that, and is at peace with that, uh, is trying to grow and get better, of course, but not in a way that's so obsessive that's really more about self-aggrandizement as opposed to self-gift. Um, so I know I'm kind of dancing around this. Yeah, I, I've seen this, but um, those are kind of the, I don't know, th these are the ways that it struck me as more authentic uh, and deeper 
within this person um than other things that just kind of looked apart on the outside if that makes any sense um so um yeah i i, I just worry i worry so much because uh, kind of as, as an aside um about you know there's a lot of chatter on the internet um and i try to stay off i'm on twitter that's about it but um often from ex-evangelicals but coming out of purity culture and things like that where it's they had this overbearing kind of at least their perception rules-based view of the faith and then they just like have revolted against that um I don't, in raising kids for example I mean, the teenage years they can be challenging but man they've been a blast i mean like i had a veteran dad say to me years ago i was like well you know i saw about the temptation to want to like freeze your kids when they're young and he's like, no, no, you want them to mature. And in fact, they become the kind of people that were they're not your children, you'd call them your friends. And I've experienced that with my, my oldest two sons for sure. And I, I think part of what helps facilitate that is empower them to be who they are, right? There's a danger, I think, with us Catholics in particular, probably everybody else, but like to either try to make them a carbon copy of us or a carbon mm-hmm. copy of we wish we would have been at that age. Yeah. And that, it's like that, that's poison. We want to coach them. We want to form them. Absolutely. But they're God's kids, not ours. So I don't know. I think um, letting go of the reins of control is one of these marks of being fully alive. Like you, you, it's not a cliche, but of course you can control what you can, but I don't know. And there's a, um, I see a lot of people going after really good things, but I see the evil one creeping in where it just makes it a frenetic thing they lose their peace and their joy and there's like weird manipulation going on and this weird like obsession with pet projects and i'm like i don't i thought something's going to right i'm not trying to put anybody down cuz we want to be we want to be mission oriented but not at the cost of our kids our families and the joy in the home if we want to change the culture uh i i i will change the culture when our grandkids are catholic meaning our kids receive it with the such joy they want to replicate it we won't do it until we can do that. And if we can be champions in the little things at home, I, I just think that's the key to transforming the wider scope. We want to, we want to do the, the missionary work. I mean, what you all are doing, this is amazing, but we, we gotta be champions at home. And I think that is not just teaching to your point, Sam, it's, it's doing this with joy. It's fostering that emotional connection with our kids, our wives, our spouses. Um, if we don't do that, the catechesis is going to fall flat. Like, it'll, I mean, there's a study faith and families, probably been 10 years ago, but their conclusion basically was what passes on the faith is not the piety of the parents so much as the emotional connection, especially between the father and the kids. If that's there, they found the kids were more likely to embrace the faith of their, of their parents. Yeah, no, I really appreciate that, Andy. It has been just a joy listening to you. You can tell by nature, not only your intelligence and the time you've spent looking into these things, but also that evangelical nature, right? Which is built with with a with a solid belief, a solid love, and a solid desire to share that gift with others. So I really appreciate you doing that with us today. So where can men go to find more about you? You said Twitter, but also buy this book. And we're going to drop it in the show notes or any of your books. I know you just came out with that new um, uh, co-authored one on, on understanding the Old Testament and stuff like that. So feel free to share all that information and then we'll be sure to drop all those links into the show notes but john i super appreciate your kind thoughts and, and you and sam and all that you're doing so, so thank you that means a lot uh so I, my wife and i have a website the swaffers.com um so the swaffers.com and we have all of our products on on there as well uh yeah so gift and grit how heroic virtue can change your life and relationships 
it's it's a book about relationships. I mean, there's chapters on friendship, on dating, a relationship with the Lord, but it's 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 a book about living with meaning and purpose. Uh, it's a book about life and living it in a way that transforms all of our relationships, including especially our walk with the Lord. And as you mentioned, uh, I just came out with Jeff Cavins, uh, Jeff Morrow, Bifroca, uh, a Catholic guide to the Old Testament. Uh, really excited about that. It's a um, it, it's I think there's nothing quite like that in terms of. Uh, it's it's almost 500 pages. It's thorough. Like there's books, there's chapters on every book of the Old Testament, uh, but it's accessible. And uh, there's yeah. chap- it, it takes you through kind of the there and then, um, you know, when was this book written? Da, da, da. But also like, how is this book used in the New Testament? How is it used in Catholic tradition? Like, how is it used in the life of the church? So kind of bringing all those things together. Um, but yeah, we're stoked about Gift and Grit. Uh, stoked about that one. Um, I've got other books as well there. So um, those two are available on Ascension's website, ascensionpress.com. Um, others are available on Amazon as well. Uh, I love Jesus. I love JP2. I love the Bible. Um, just trying to be the uh, the donkey on which our Lord rides to Jerusalem and not get in the way. But, <laughs> but, but you know, mostly our kids. Um, yeah. So I'm just, I mean, just blessed to be here. I never thought my life would look like this. And I just want to maybe all your listeners, like God's got a plan for each and every one of you. And your mission is never in the rearview mirror. So you might be like, gosh, I wish I heard this 20 years ago, 30 years, whatever it is. Um, I, I, there's a prayer that I came to years ago. There's about Providence and said, I entrust, we think about Providence often about the future, but I entrust the past, the present, the future to your Providence. That was huge for me because I think we can second guess ourselves to death about the past. Just surrender your past, the Lord's providence, that he is and did and continues to write straight with our crooked lines. Um, eyes forward, no matter how old you are. Godspeed. Amen. Well, thank you so very much for all, all your wisdom and thoughts and sharing that with us. So yeah, it's been a, it's been a joy. Thank you. Yeah, you guys are awesome. God bless. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, you're welcome. So Sam, as we end each of our episodes. Be a man, be a saint. <laughs>